0: In week one of this Greater Than message series, I said that Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians with a specific purpose. He needed to address the false teaching that had crept into the church in Colossae. Today we're going to learn a, a very important truth. And like many powerful truths, we are taught God uses the life Of an imperfect person, not just to speak verbally this truth, but to also reveal this truth with their life. We have to remember to fully understand the context of the writer is that Paul was a Jew. Before Paul was Paul, he was Saul the Pharisee, he was the persecutor of Christians. But Saul had a, a personal experience, a personal encounter with Jesus, and he realized who it was that he was persecuting. And a life transformation began to take place in Paul's life. And so we see that as Paul is writing this, and we'll see many times throughout our study of Colossians, that Paul isn't a, um, a half-hearted Christian. Um, he was an all-in kind of guy. Um, when he was Saul, he was all-in as a Jew against Christians. Um, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, he was still a Jew but he was a follower of Jesus, and things began to change in his life. And, and he went from hardcore against Jesus to hardcore for Jesus, and his life was no joke. And as you see as we read through Colossians, that the power behind his words was lived out in the power of his life. to understand what Paul is going to teach us this morning as we look at Colossians 1, 24 through Colossians 2, verse 5. We need to know a little bit of background behind um, the theological lesson that Paul's going to show us today. You see, throughout Scripture, we know that God had His chosen people the Hebrews, the the Israelites, the Jews. They were His chosen people. And as the Hebrews traveled in the desert, they had a tent. And they would set up this tent and it would house the Ark of the Covenant. And that was where God dwelled. And they would set up this tent And that's where they made the sacrifices. And when it was time to travel again, they would take the tent down and the tent would travel with them. And when they stopped, they set the tent back up. And every time they moved, it was set it up, take it down, set it up, take it down. Well, then when they reached a place in the promised land that God had promised them, they built a temple that would house their worship, would be the place where the Ark of the Covenant would be housed, where the Holy of Holies would be, where the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies only one time a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. But represented with the tent and the temple was the visible gap between God and his people. There was a divide. There was a separation between God and his people. Paul has pointed out, as we've looked at in these last few weeks, that his letter has a strong emphasis on the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. How God is sufficient for us. How God is supreme over all things. He has shown us that the importance of making Jesus the center of our lives. And how he reveals in this passage that we're going to look at this mystery that has been kept hidden and that no one had been able to access until then. So let's look at this passage of Scripture. Let's, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles if you have them. If you don't, the words will be on the screen as well. But Colossians 1, we'll start in verse 25. Paul writes, I have become its servant, By the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What is the mystery? He tells us, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's a very important word that I'm sure many of us have read this, and we we don't think about this word being an important word at all in this passage. But the important word in this this last little phrase that he says is the word in, because it carries a very significant influence, because it is Christ in you, not Christ and you. You see, this is not us trying to make it to God. That's not the case. It is Christ coming to live inside of us. Christ in you, not Christ and you. You see, when I think about the difference between these two statements, I think of something I was never really into as a kid, but I had some friends that were really into the like WWE, like wrestling, you know, like that, that stuff that, you know, they're very athletic, but it's, like, fake. <laughs> um, and, um, but they had these things called tag team fights where each person had a partner. And you see, a lot of times we live like this tag team going on. This, we, we are in the fight, and, and we're fighting in the battle, and we're doing everything within our own ability And there comes a point where we decide we can't do anything else. And so at that point, then we go and we try to tag in Jesus for him to come in. You see, that is living as Christ and you. But you see, there's a difference. It was always meant to be Christ in you. Paul is telling us that the mystery of the gospel is that we were meant to do life with Christ in our lives. With Christ in us. The mystery of the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. What is the hope of glory? Well, the hope of glory is eternal life with God. So how, what, how do we have that hope? Well, he tells us it's Christ in you. You see, you see if we're trying to do Christ and me or and you, we're going to have a problem because we're going to find times in our life where we don't have hope. We don't understand what hope is. We don't understand how a person could have hope in the midst of a dark time in their life. How could a person have hope with all of the things going on in their lives? Well, it's because they're trying to do everything in their life separate from God. But then when they can't handle things, they ask God to come into their life. They ask God to come and help them. But you see, God wants to be in our life from the beginning. He wants to be in our life through the process, through the chaos of our lives. Christ in us, which is the hope of glory. So what does that kind of look like? He goes on in verses 28 and 29. He, Christ, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching one another with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature, there it is again, in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. the one we proclaim. Back in verse 25, he said that God had commissioned him to present to them the word of God in its fullness, in its fullest beauty, in the fullest scope of hope that is possible in this life. is Christ and he says the one we proclaim you see what he's doing is he's trying to bring out the difference between the God that he proclaims the Christ that he proclaims and the false teaching that had been brought into the church And we'll see this over and over again as as we go through this series throughout the summer. And and he's going to constantly come back to this and reiterate over and over again that there's a difference between the Christ he teaches, the Christ he proclaims, the Christ that he's given his life for, and the one that is being brought into the church. He says that so that we might present everyone fully mature in Christ. What is he saying? He's saying that when they become a disciple, we're going to teach them the ways of Christ. We're not going to be satisfied with just bringing them to Christ. We're not just going to make converts, but we want to see them grow in their faith. To become fully mature disciples. What does a fully mature disciple look like? Well, one of the things that a fully mature disciple looks like is a disciple who's now making disciples. But also one who is proclaiming Christ. So the question for us this morning is, are we proclaiming Christ with our lives? An even stronger challenge. Are we doing it to the degree that Paul was? To this end, I strenuously contend. That it wasn't just half hearted. It wasn't just, I'll say a few words and hope this works. But he was going to do everything within his power to proclaim Christ to proclaim the truth of his love for everyone. He was going to help them grow to be disciples. Well, one of the things that Paul did was when he would go and he would start a church, he wouldn't just say, well, it's great, I'm glad all of you came to Christ. I'll see you when I make my rounds back around and hopefully I'm here. No, what did he do? He brought people with him or he sent people to them to become their disciple maker. And he would then, those people would begin to disciple the people that had come to Christ. He wouldn't just leave them by themselves, but he gave them people to lead them, to hold them accountable to to what it means to live as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. He says, I strenuously contend. But then he goes on in chapter 2, starting in verse 1, he says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. He's even taking people that he hasn't even met in making them His responsibility to teach them. He goes on, verse 2, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom, And knowledge, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Notice in verse 4, he says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. How many of you, and don't worry, I am included in this, and you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but how many of you have heard somebody say something, they make an argument, and they sound so good at it, that it's like that is 100% true i'm in i believe what you said you see it's just a fine sounding argument you see there was this uh pastor that i had listened to and 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 i'm not going to like drop any names or anything i'm not even going to tell you where they're located in michigan um used to be and um and but he was one of the best communicators I had ever heard and he was young and hip and he shaved his head so that made him cool too Um, and um, but he was he was great and and then I went to this seminary um, Wesley Seminary and um, if, if you think I'm a little rattly this morning, it's because one of my professors walked in the door this morning and I didn't have a clue that he was coming. And um, he's like, he's written commentaries and I'm like, I'm like, oh great, I'm in trouble. Um, so hopefully I-, I did my due diligence today. But anyway, so we have this, I'm like, um. he started telling me things in my classes and he would even like use the guy's name and he probably already knows who I'm talking about and and he was like, doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. I'm like, what are you talking about? And so, you know, I would go and look for it and I'd be like, oh man, I'm an idiot. You see, I just listen to the great message And because he was such a a high caliber Christian, you know, because he had thousands of people who attended his church, so automatically that made him like a good Christian, right? But then over time, his theology became a little different than mine. And I realized that things that I thought were were truth that I needed to go back and start actually looking into myself. You see, it's really easy for us to hear a great argument, a great storyteller, and just take it at face value and say, that's right, you're right, I'm in. But what Paul is trying to say is that there's a difference between the Jesus that I speak of, the Jesus that I proclaim, and the one that you're being taught outside the church. And I want you to know that there's a difference. I want you to have the full understanding of God in the mystery who is Christ. You see, as Christians, we should want to know more and more of who Christ is. We should never become satisfied with what we think we know about Jesus. We should always seek to learn more, to grow more. He says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you. How is he contending? He's in a jail. He's in a prison, shackled to a guard 24 hours a day. How how is he? Well, one, he's writing these letters to help educate them. One, he's sending people to speak the gospel into their lives. He's, He's sending people to disciple them as young Christians. but he's also praying for them. He's also praying to the Jesus that he proclaims. He's asking the Holy Spirit to intercede on their behalf. God, help them to know the difference between truth and lie. Help them to seek to know the truth and not be satisfied with fine-sounding arguments. to make a little personal for us in this congregation. I want you to know as your pastor how hard I'm contending for you. Because as a congregation, we're getting ready to walk through some pretty difficult stuff. We have some difficult decisions to make. As United Methodists, we have hard decisions ahead of us. And you see, what I'm concerned with is that we know all the options. Because it's really easy for us to look at what the news is saying about the United Methodist Church right now and take that at face value. It's really for easy for us to, to go on the United Methodist website and, and look at all the things that they're saying about the, the new denomination. And it's really easy for us to just say, well, that's a bad idea. But it's also really easy for us to go look at the global Methodist church website and read all the stuff that they're saying and be like, oh, that's, but you see, the thing is, is a one or a lot of us will go to one side and and not hear the other side. Some of us will even raise the question, I've been United Methodist my whole life. Why is it even important? Why is it even a question that we're asking ourselves? You see, for me, as your pastor, my concern is not about my job. My concern is that the denomination that we say that we are a part of stands under the biblical teaching of the scriptures. And so therein lies where we have to seek guidance. We have to seek what Scripture tells us. We have to seek what God wants for us, where God is leading us. There's a lot of stuff. You're going to read a lot of things. You're going to hear a lot of things. But the question always comes back to me. When, I'm, when I think about it, even for me as a pastor, can I stand before you and proclaim the gospel in confidence that the church I'm in stands for that same gospel? The church that I'm a part of as a denomination stands for that same gospel, We need to know the things that we're facing. So the, the the meeting that we're gonna have um in a few weeks, um the I almost said December, um not that far, um June twenty-sixth, so just a few weeks. Um it's gonna push your lunch back a little bit. I know, I'm sorry, um, but this guy that's coming is Crazy busy, and so we get him when we get him and um, it's we're gonna uh, take the preschool philosophy as you get what you get and you don't throw a fit okay so we're gonna take that uh, mindset and here's the thing I, I'm gonna be I'm just gonna be flat out honest with you and yes this is going out online and I'm just gonna be honest with you I've gotten emails from people high up in the United Methodist Church that has said that what I'm doing by having this speaker come in and share with us is wrong, um, that I can be um, brought up on charges in the church for, and my response is, okay, but I want my people to be educated, and I'm not just going to give them one side of the coin. I believe that you have the right to know everything that's out there. The good, the bad, the ugly. And here's the thing just because there's a new denomination doesn't mean that it's like the Savior itself. That it, I mean, it's not going to be the answer to every problem there is. It's not. But I believe that no matter what we do as a congregation, everyone deserves to have all the information given to you possible. Because you see, I have to make this decision for me. What am I going to do as a pastor? You have to make the decision of what this congregation is going to do as a church. I can't make it for you. And so there, there are going to be times where you're going to be like, well, why aren't you stepping up and like saying something? Or, I can't. Because it's not my decision to make. It has to be the body of Christ making this decision. I'll do my best no matter what way we go to help this church, to guide this church. I want you to know that I have meticulously, um, I mean, I've literally printed off stuff like of stuff that I've read on both sides of the arguments, um, I ha- have done as much research as I possibly can think of. I- I'm constantly in contact with people on both sides uh, of the aisle and am asking, like, you know, what are your thoughts? What are you, like, what are you guys, and I'm, I'm, I'm not just sitting back and saying, good luck. But I want you to know, and I say all of this so that you know that I'm here for you. In the end, this is about Jesus. In the end, I care about you and your relationship with Jesus. And here's the thing, we can be on different sides of the debate. And we can still be fellow Christians together. That is my, my ultimate prayer for us, is that this isn't a, an argument that we fight over, but we will sit back and we will listen to the people that may be saying things that we, we don't agree with, but we will listen. We will hear the people but we will love each other through every single piece of it. This whole debate over gay clergy and and homosexual marriage, in the United Methodist Church, it has been brought down to an issue that people are saying that it's an issue of love and hate. Love versus hate. And you know, I think for some churches it is. But this will not be one of them. This will not be one of them. We will stand with Christ. And we will stand united together in love for each other. If we can't do that, the solution is easy. There are plenty of other churches that would love to have you. But I'm tired of love versus hate. Because in the church of Jesus Christ, there's only one option. Love. Stand with me. If you would, just reach out your hands and receive this blessing this morning. Jesus, I thank you for what you did in Paul's life. And that his words are truth to us. That his words can be encouragement in our hearts this morning. But God, our ultimate prayer this morning is that it would not be Christ and us, but it would be Christ in us, the hope of all glory. May we seek to live our life with you, dwelling in us, your Holy Spirit guiding us so that we can live the life that you've called us to as fully devoted followers of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.